The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, you magical people out there, and welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Today we are going to talk about Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. So, let's get right to it. Professor McGonagall mentions in the beginning of this chapter that your house will be your family at Hogwarts. Welcome to Hogwarts! Now, in a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. But before you can take your seats, you must be sorted into your houses. They are Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Now, while you're here, your house will be like your family. Your triumphs will earn you points. Any rule-breaking, and you will lose points. At the end of the year, the house with the most points is awarded the house cup. Prior to the sorting ceremony, both Harry and Ron worry about taking tests to be sorted out. What do Harry's particular fears suggest about how his childhood affected him? Most of the children that are about to be sorted are anxious. Hermione is reciting every single spell she's learned in her books. For Harry especially, we're seeing that he worries about whether or not he will be sorted at all. He's having thoughts that the hat will take a long time to figure it out, causing everyone to stare at him, after which it will be determined that there was some kind of a mistake and he will be sent back on a train back home. There are a number of times throughout this chapter where Harry has that same fear that there was some kind of a mistake, that he doesn't actually belong, that he's some kind of a fraud. I think that his upbringing at Dursley's is really evident here. I think that we're seeing that he has spent so many years being told that he's a nobody, that he's not special, that he's not important, that when he finally gets a chance to experience something truly magical, to feel like he belongs with people like him, He believes that this chance will be taken away from him. This is something that occurs for a lot of people after we experience a lot of suffering, a lot of abuse, or after we might be neglected in some kind of way, when we finally receive a chance to connect with something wonderful, we might be terrified that it will be taken away. 
a lot of people when they first experience love or a sense of belonging that might be the time that they remember all the times that they've been hurt injured and rejected and i think for harry now that this is the first time he's experienced something so wonderful he fears that just like all the other times when he's felt a sense of disappointment with the dursleys that it will happen again yeah i mean there's absolutely no surprise that he has anxiety going into this situation also this chapter has a lot of fun in it and this is the first time that we see the house ghosts and learn about this magic of unlimited food and floating candles and moving portraits and the ceiling that is bewitched to look like the night sky or the stars. It's not real the ceiling. It's just bewitched to look like the night sky. I read about it in Hogwarts a history. What about this magic might be especially important for someone like Harry? I think that for Harry, it's almost like he's in this other world, which represents the complete opposite of everything he's ever experienced. Whereas the Dursley's house is dry and boring and very particular, there's nothing dry about Hogwarts. As you mentioned, there are the four house ghosts. There's the poltergeist, Peeves, who's haunting and harassing students. There's this magic everywhere. And whereas Harry was forever forbidden from eating as much as he wanted, now there's unlimited food of every kind. He doesn't have to worry about someone like Dudley stealing his food away from him. He doesn't have to worry about fighting just for a chance to eat or for a warm place to sleep. Even his quarters seem to be well-suited for him and he gets a chance to share his sleeping spaces with other boys that he is friendly with, with Ron, his new friend. I think that for Harry especially, having been raised at the Dursley residence, now coming to Hogwarts and seeing the kind of magic that it offers, the kind of unusual and miraculous experiences that he is going through is so much more magical than to someone like Draco Malfoy, for example, who's grown up around magic. And for Harry, it seems like he truly appreciates every moment. He's mindful and grateful for all of these experiences, especially in being able to be a part of this new magical world and being able to be sorted into Gryffindor and being able to make new friends. How amazingly magical was it to see this hat just come to life and then open its mouth and start singing a song? I mean, I really love this chapter as a musician because there's two songs in it. One of these songs is the Hogwarts Spirit Song or the Hogwarts School Song. I thought it would be a lot of fun to bring this song to life. So my brother and I worked on it and this was a lot of fun. And this is for all us fans out there and we hope you enjoy.
my brother and I had so much fun making that song. It's such an amazing creative outlet, and Harry Potter is just rich with these fun little tunes. I almost want to do them all, you know. But let's get back to the sorting hat. What does it say about this sorting ceremony, how it sorts in relation to personality types, and how can this affect behavior? You know, it's really interesting. There are a lot of different personality types out there. One of the most commonly known personality tests is the Myers-Briggs personality test, which sorts human personalities into one of 16 combination traits. There's actually four different criteria. The first criterion is the extroversion-introversion scale, which is how we tend to express our energy. So people that are more introverted, for example, prefer more of a quiet space, whereas people that are more extroverted might do better around larger groups of people. And then the second criterion is the sensing and then intuition. So this is how we perceive information. So if we're more on the sensing end of the spectrum, then we might directly believe the information that we learn. Whereas if we're more intuitive, we might perceive that information more from kind of our intuition from within. The third criterion is the thinking feeling, which is how we process the information once we receive it. So thinking part of the spectrum is mainly relying on logic to process the information that we've received, whereas on the opposite end of that, the feeling end of the spectrum is processing information based more on the emotional experiences that we have. And then finally, the fourth criterion, the judging and perceiving criterion, talks about how we then implement the information once we received it and once we've processed it. So if we're more on the judging end of the spectrum, then we might create specific rules and then follow these rules. Whereas if we're more on the perceiving end of the spectrum, then we might be more creative in the way that we explore our options. It seems like for these four houses, the hat serves as a kind of personality test where it sorts individuals into one of these four houses based on some of these traits that they present. When I call your name, you will come forth. I shall place the sorting hat on your head and you will be sorted into your houses. Draco Malfoy. Slytherin! We learn that, for example, the Hufflepuff house houses individuals that are more compassionate and hardworking. So perhaps ones that are maybe more extroverted, for instance, more intuitive, maybe following more of that feeling and perceiving kind of end of that spectrum. Whereas Ravenclaw, for example, might be more of the opposite, perhaps more introverted, more of the sensing, thinking, and judging end of the spectrum. These are just examples of these personalities. Of course, we learned that people in Gryffindor tend to be more courageous in their personality and people in Slytherin tend to be more cunning and able to accomplish their goals by any means necessary. What we know is that there seem to be some stereotypes as to which people go to which houses. 
So for example, I belong to House Slytherin. That's not a witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. I am a proud Slytherin. Gryffindor. Yes, and you are a proud Gryffindor. And I know that there's a lot of speculation as to Slytherin House, and I think that there's kind of a stereotype that Slytherins are inherently evil. But the reason why I'm a Slytherin is because I'm very ambitious and I believe in following my goals and not giving up no matter what. So this is why I strongly identified with Slytherin. I think that if I was to be sorted, that would probably be the house I'd be sorted into. What would make you be a Gryffindor? I don't know. I think I'm a little mischievous. <laughs> I, I, I break the rules a little bit. <laughs> Peeves would certainly have a field day with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is an interesting whole concept when you really look at it because you were talking about stereotypes and there's always a question that comes to my mind about Hermione being sorted into Gryffindor because she's a total Ravenclaw. She's so smart. She's so book smart. I know she's courageous and all those things, but it feels like based off of the stereotypes and, you know, just being book smart. Well, it's interesting that the hat seems to be really aware of maybe the driving force of that individual's personality, right? Although Hermione is extremely intelligent, top witch of her class, she is also somebody who we learn later in the series is extremely courageous and that courage takes precedence over anything else. Hermione Granger? Oh no. Okay, relax. Mental, that one. I'm telling you. Ah, right then. Mm, right. Okay. Gryffindor! It causes her to protect her friends and even drop out of school in order to make sure that she protects the people that she cares about, in order to make sure that she follows her mission. And similarly with Neville. I imagine in this first year, we might think that maybe he belongs in Hufflepuff. He, Total he's, Hufflepuff. He's a kind, <laughs> very considerate, very compassionate, certainly very hardworking boy. And as we see through the series, his driving force really is courage. We see that in this book and we see it throughout the series. And so it seems like the hat is really aware, maybe even psychic, in terms of understanding the way that these characters will develop the way that these children will develop and how their personality might manifest down the line. It does also seem to take their wishes into account. Now, as a psychologist, I do have to point out that in real life, there might be some concern as to sorting children at the age of 11 based on their potential personalities because it might create something called a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm -hmm. Where if we're sorted into a particular house based on our supposed personality type, we might actually develop that personality type because we're told that's where we belong. Whether the hat is truly psychic or creating these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, I guess that's hard to tell, but it does seem like it for the most part tends to get it right. Well, I mean, honestly, Harry was sitting there saying, Not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great, you know. It's all here in your head. And Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness. There's no doubt about that. No? Please, 
Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor! An interesting situation happened in this chapter. It was the first time that Harry's scar actually hurt. And that was very interesting to me, especially coming back and rereading it again, that she had that set up so far in advance. How might this experience relate to his trauma? You know, it's interesting because reading this book for the first time, we're meant to assume that his scar hurts when Snape is near him because his scar hurts when he makes eye contact with Snape, when he sees Snape. As we learn throughout the series, his scar hurts as a kind of a premonition of danger when Voldemort is near him. And of course, Snape is sitting next to Quirrell and Quirrell is wearing his turban. It is after seeing Quirrell and Snape together that Harry's scar starts to hurt. It seems that Harry, very much like a lot of trauma survivors, gets that pain when he is triggered. So for a lot of trauma survivors, when we see a reminder of our trauma, for example, when we might see either the perpetrator of our trauma or someone that looks like them or hear a word that is related to our traumatic experience, we might experience emotional or even sometimes physical pain in a particular region of our body. For different people, it might manifest differently. Some people might experience pain in their chest or stomach, and some people might actually experience a headache or or dizziness, lightheadedness, or might feel faint. For Harry, it makes sense that the very place of his trauma, it's almost like his gunshot wound, but in this case, it's this curse connection wound that hurts. It makes sense that in having this subconscious reminder of his trauma would make his scar hurt. Speaking about Quirrell's turban, in this chapter, we also see that Harry has a nightmare and Professor Quirrell is in the middle of it. In fact, Professor Quirrell's turban seems to be talking to Harry. It's saying stuff like he has to transfer into Slytherin and saying that it's his destiny and it was trying to suffocate him while Malfoy and Snape are just sitting there laughing. What might this nightmare suggest about what Harry is going through? That's a really great question. I thought this was really clever of J.K. Rowling to end the chapter in this way that in a lot of ways we're seeing some foreshadowing about what's to come. But psychologically speaking, I also think that his nightmare might be indicative of his trauma, right? A lot of trauma survivors have nightmares and their nightmares are often violent and they might not even be directly related to what happened to them. Now, for a lot of people, we might not be fully aware of what is going on in our environment, but subconsciously we might feel the level of danger around us. So even though we might not understand why we're feeling scared, there might be a reminder of something that was traumatic for us and it might manifest in our dreams. And so even though Harry might not have recognized what's going on with Quirrell, that dream might be his subconscious kind of trying to tell him that danger is afoot. And Malfoy already having bullied him it makes sense that he would see him laughing at him in this dream and even expect that someone with Snape's harsh look might make fun of him as well. I'm also wondering if 
Harry being magical and having this protective magic that he also carries with him, if there was something to that effect going on here, if maybe the protective spell that he's under is causing him to have these dreams as a way of keeping him safe. Well, there are so many wonderful things about to happen in this story now. We are at Hogwarts, the magic is there, the magic is real, and Harry is on his way to fulfill his identity. It's just beautiful, and I can't wait to get into the next chapter. We're going to go ahead and end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. My name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill. Feel free to like and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you very much, and stay magical out there, everybody. <laughs>